We're going to get ready to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We uh, thank you so much for joining us. We love you all so much. And uh, right now, I would like to call up our brother, and um, I was going to say Anthony. Adam, let's give him a hand. He's going to come up and testify. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Uh, yes. Um, so my testimony goes a little bit like this. Just to give you a, a, an update. The scripture I want to read for this morning is... Um, Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, uh, but in every situation by prayer and petition. I'll stress that by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Uh, for the past year, you know, I'm, I'm getting married in July. Yeah, amen. And, uh, you know, one of the things as a single young man preparing for marriage and looking to the future is like, God, I... I want to be a good steward of what you've given me, and God, I want to be able to provide, you know, with the, econo with the economy going down, I had both parents lose their jobs, so I know what it's like to uh, kind of be in a tight situation. I said to myself, man, you know what, God, I, I want to have more than enough, and so I had applied uh, to CPD and had passed everything, but um, that fell through and, you know, put my resume out to different places, and God, you know what, I, I think I should be making this amount of money and just praying and and God, throughout the entire time, was saying, Adam, you know what, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you. Be faithful in what you're doing. And uh, just this past Friday, we had a professional development. And during the meeting, our executive director um, had named me the supervisor of the mentor. So I got a promotion um, this past Friday. And um, that was such like an answer to prayer, just a sense of, of peace. And if you follow that verse along, and the Bible says that in the peace of God, um, which says all understanding will guard your hearts. And I, and I definitely have peace of where I'm at in my life and looking forward to the future. So that's my testimony. I know God's doing it for me. He's doing it for you. Amen. So let's just uh, pray. Let's open it up in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. And God, we thank you that your presence is here. God, we thank you that you're a loving, you're a compassionate God. You're such a gracious God. And Lord, we just ask that you would uh, be with us here this morning as we pray, as we lift our voice. That God, your presence will fill this place. God, we will know you more. Uh, we bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Just lift up your hands wherever you're at. Lord Jesus, just talk to Jesus right now. You came to meet with him, did you not? Just lift up your hands and just start to whisper to him. Say, Jesus, meet me here. Father God, I ask that you meet us here today. You're so good, God. Even in the prayer time and in the time of uh, before service, our team talk, God, your spirit was already thick in this place, Lord. Father God, I ask that as we lift up our hands, as we pray, as we worship, as we shout, as we dance, God, that, uh, that you would receive all the glory all the honor, all the praise, all the adoration. Father God, you are holy. You are holy, Lord. <laughs> we sing to a holy God, a separate God. You're not like the others, God. <laughs> you are righteous, Lord. Come on, church, let's start to worship them. You are righteous, Lord. Oh, God, and you set up... You set us apart, God, a holy nation, a peculiar people, aliens in this land. We live here, but we're not from here, Lord God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Whoa. And God, heaven has come to earth. Jesus, you came to earth. You dwelt among us. You lived as us. 
who's got joy in their heart today. all you people shouting to God with a voice of triumph oh clap your hands all you people shouting to God with a voice of oh clap your hands all you people shouting to God with a voice of triumph oh clap your hands all you people shouting to God with a voice of triumph come on make some noise in this place
have said yes to Jesus in this place? How many have said yes to the risen king? It's all about surrender, friends. You couldn't do it by yourself. You couldn't do it by your strength. There has to come a moment where you say, God, I just surrender to you. God, I surrender to your will, to your desire. So as we lift up our hands right now, just say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, Lord.
say all I need is
finally I surrender. Come on, sing it. Finally I surrender. Sing it, church. Finally I surrender. Finally I surrender. Something has to break in this place. Something has to be loose in this place. And it is you. <laughs> Come on, you have to break. You have to be loose in this place. Come on. Stop waiting for something to happen. And you happen right now. Praise Him. If you're physically able to right now, just get on your knees and surrender as a sign to surrender to God. Come on, even us in the band, let's just get on our knees.
This is not about a show. It's not just another Sunday morning. Lord, we say we surrender, but do we really? God, here is your people. Lord, set apart. You set us apart, God. You set us apart, God, to exalt you, to be a light in the world, God. You're not interested in our religiosity. You're not interested, God, in all the things we prop up, God, as religious. You want us all, God. You want our hearts. And today we say we surrender, Lord. We surrender again. And finally I surrender. Come on, sing it, church. Heaven is all around us. Lift up your hands and declare. Heaven is all around us. 
have your way in this service, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, praise him. Praise him one more time. He is good. Why don't you make your way back to your seat? With that attitude of thanksgiving, welcome to Metro Praise International. My name is Pastor Griselda, and I'm excited to be with you here this morning to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to John 1, 16. I want to talk to you about a good God. Amen? You've heard about a bad God before. You've heard about an evil God. But I want to talk to you about a good God, the good God, and the only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has been revealed to us from the beginning. He has been gracious to us, slow to anger, abounding in love, and that is the God that we come this morning to worship. That is the God that is all around us. And that is the God that I invite you to know him, to know this morning if you do not know him. It says in John 1:16, it says, out of his fullness, somebody say his fullness. We have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is himself God as in the, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen? It says here, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we've received grace and place of grace already given. You see, in this time when he was talking to the Jewish people, and that was his audience, they had already received grace before Jesus Christ came. God was always gracious with his people through the law, sending the law to give them a way to live, to give them a holy standard of living. Through the prophets, through the seers who would come out all the time and tell the Israelite people to repent of their sin. They received grace through those prophets. That was gracious. That was a gracious God reaching out to his people, wanting them to repent. Now, on top of that grace came Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Amen? We have been given that grace. So now it's not just grace for his chosen people, but it's grace for all of us, even every person present in this room this morning. There's been grace given to you that if you would come to him and grab a hold of him, put your faith and receive this unmerited favor you would have eternal life. You would know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I just asked myself how many times before I came to Christ, I was given grace on top of grace, opportunity on top of opportunity to come and repent to the Lord. And I praise God that one day, finally, my eyes opened and I received that grace. Now think about yourself this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, think about the grace that's been given to you time and time again, grace on top of grace. Will you receive that grace this morning? Will you grab a hold of the opportunity God is presenting before you today to come into relationship with him, to leave this world behind and just grab a hold of him? There is no other way. There is no other grace that is given to you, but the last one is through Jesus Christ and him alone. There is no other sacrifice for your sin. There is no good work that will make, that will allow you to have eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ's grace. Amen? So I invite you this morning, if you don't know him, to pray, to repent, 
and by faith receive that grace and let that grace wash you and forgive you of your sin. You don't have to be judged according to your sin. God, the all-knowing, he knows you. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows the wickedness in man's, in man's heart deep down inside, and yet he still extends his hand. He says, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to turn away from that because Jesus took your punishment. Now take upon the grace that he's given you. Amen. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, God, God accepts you this morning. God says, I forgive you. And those of you who are believers and those of you who say, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, let me tell you, that grace he's given you, he wants you to go show it to the world. He's calling you to be a disciple that makes disciples. So God wants to use you. So I want to pray for every person in this room that you would be used mightily by God. So let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you are presenting to people today to receive your grace. I pray, dear God, for born-again spirits all around this room. I pray for new life to be given. I pray for shame, the shame of sin, the penalty of sin, dear God, will be wiped away. Father, that no one would leave this room the same. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, for disciples in this room to rise up, to lay down their lives, dear God, for the sake of the, for the, sake of the gospel, that they would be disciples that make disciples, that impact the world around them. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you this morning, if you're saying that I want that, we have some prayer workers right over here who want to pray with you during our time of fellowship. And I'm going to ask if you could please just stand to your feet as we recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what we stand on. This is what we believe is in the word of God. And so we're going to confess that. And I want you to just stand up a little straight. I want you to say it loud and say it proud. Amen. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Come on, give them some praise. Greet your neighbor. And if you need prayer, just come on right over here, and we have some people ready to pray with you.
Good morning. It's good to see all your beautiful faces this morning. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on. On behalf of the pastors and the leadership, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time here, if you could just wave your hand in the air, we welcome you. Let's give it up for all of our first-time visitors. Please join us. Come on back. We're so excited to shake your hands and fellowship with you this morning. Our service is here at Metro Praise are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. So we're kicking it off this month, starting our two services. We're so excited about that. And then Elevate every Fridays at 7 p.m. for 11 to 18 years old. So keep coming every week. We have overflow parking available for you. We have a parking lot directly behind the church and one right next to it. Please use either one for your convenience. And we're so glad for that overflow parking lot, are we not? Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us to live our life by. We strive to do that here with all of our heart, to put God first in all that we do, to love people, to be the body of Christ to everybody around us. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Let's say that, say that together in the count of three. One, two, three. Connect, mentor, send. The way we want to connect you here at MPI is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. And so we have different types of life groups for all ages and places that you are in life. In the back of your handouts, you can see the schedule for this quarter. And so find a place to belong, especially if you're new, if you've been coming for a little bit and you haven't joined yet. There are so much uh, fun and exciting things happening throughout the week that is going to bless your life and enrich your walk with the Lord. And so here's a snapshot of what's happening just this week. So today on Sunday we have two happening. One is our single uh, singles life group. Make some noise all you singles in the house. 18 to 35 years old meet at the church at 4 p.m. We also have our single moms meeting today. Come on with child care provided. 5 p.m. Wednesday, we have the Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group meeting, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at the church. Every Wednesday, we have a King's Kids Life Group for our children, infant to 11 years old. Drop off your children at 6.30. We have Impact Girls Club, Royal Rangers Boys Club. And if you have children from the ages of infant to 11, you want them to be here. Enjoy your free time. Go on a date night and then pick them back up at 8. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, one at the Walkers. Both are for 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Child care is provided. So if you're an adult, you want to be at those life groups. That's where the excitement is. That's where the parties are happening. You're fellowshipping with all your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you're growing your faith. And it's so exciting to see all the people going out to these life groups on Fridays. Amen. And then every Saturday, we go out evangelizing on the streets. So meet here at the church at 5 p.m. All ages are welcome. And we go out to the streets of, the, of Chicago and preach the gospel. And if you're scared or you're, not, you're worried about what to say, just do it. Look to your neighbor and say, just do it. It takes practice, but it will grow you in your faith and your walk with the Lord. So find a life group to belong to. And then we want to mentor you. We have a 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through this one-on-one -on -one over some coffee, maybe some lunch or breakfast, depending on your schedule. We want to meet with you. We want to get into your life and help equip you to live uh, a powerful life for the Lord. And then if, when you graduate 101, you go into our 201 class. Sunday mornings we have it available, Disciples That Make Disciples. And this is our leadership training class where we equip you 
and raise you up to be a leader. And then we want to send you out to win other people for the Lord. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. Come on. It is time to learn about tithes and offerings. We are on section two of the Disciples Giving book, and it's all about offerings. So this next few months, we're going to be talking about offerings. We don't want to forget the lessons about tithing. We want to keep being faithful to the tithe. And now we're going to learn how giving offerings above your tithe is biblical and how God speaks to us about that through his word. So section two, lesson one today is offerings come after the tithe. We're going to be reading in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8. You could turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi 3.8, or you could follow along on the screen. The definition of offering is a gift to God after our tithe. Let's read in Malachi. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Let's read the three main points from this passage of scripture. Number one, Jewish offerings. God gave the Jewish people many different ways to give offerings for various reasons, but they never replaced the tithe. Leviticus 1 through 4. The offerings were always considered something above and extra from the tithe. Number two, offerings for the Christian. That's for us today. Today's Christians should be faithful to give their tithe and seek God for wisdom in giving their offerings to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. Here that implies relationship. I say it over and over again because we can't get away from communion with God and intimacy, walking with him in relationship, and that being tied to our finances. We should be seeking God for wisdom. We should be asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give above my tithe? Because then it's always going to come from a joyful heart. It's never going to be a grudging thing because when you're walking with God, you know that everything that you have is because of him. And when we're faithful with our tithe and we're meeting with the Lord and saying, God, what do you want me to give in this offering? It's going to come from an, a heart of overflow because you know it's God saying for you to do it. You're hearing from him. Number three, not giving offerings is also considered robbing God. Just like how not giving the whole tithe is considered robbing God, the same is true with not giving your offerings. You can't separate it. Though the Bible does not give you a set amount to give in offerings, you are to be mature enough in prayer to be led by God to give what he puts on your heart. Here's a summary. Offerings are extra gifts given to God that are to be taken serious and should be given joyfully. How many joyful givers do I have in this place today? Come on. Let's apply this. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, pray and seek God for what to give in offerings. And number three, be faithful in giving your offerings to God. Somebody shout out faithful. faithful. Let's confess this on, a, on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Stand up to your feet with me this morning, please, as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. We want to give Jesus our best. Amen. Again, here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is a 10% of your total income. 
and we designate our offerings to two different locations. One is to our missions a fund where we are able to give towards various mission projects throughout the year. And then a building fund, which we are currently in a building fund raising monies for our 15-passenger van. Thank you for your generosity. You guys are doing it. You went home. You prayed. You asked the Lord what to give, and you guys are doing it. We're more than halfway there. We should be getting that very shortly as soon as we reach that goal. And we just thank you for partnering with the vision that God has given to MPI so that we can meet the needs of our community. We also have two other options for you to make it convenient for you to give, one online and one in the back. If you have any questions about that, please see myself or Pastor Griselda. And we also have T-shirts coming. Who's excited about some T-shirts? <laughs> Chicago for Jesus, Metro Praise International T-shirts for women, colors for, for the men, different styles, different sizes. You can pre-order right now in the back. And they should be coming by the end of the month. So if you want to get your order in now, once it comes, it's yours. And so we're really excited about that. Let's recite our verse this morning. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, God. And as your people, we're going to remain faithful to you with our tithe, with our offering. Speak to our hearts, God, about giving above and abundantly what you've given to us, God. I pray that we would be faithful with a little so that you could give us much. We thank you, God, that you gave sacrificially because you sent Jesus, your son, to be our sacrifice, and so because of that, we can live, and all that we have is yours, God. So I pray that you bless your people with promotions, with open doors of employment, with raises, oh God. I pray for the favor of the Lord to rest upon your people out of the generosity because they've partnered with your kingdom. They want to see your kingdom come to this earth, and so I pray that you would provide for all of their needs and meet the needs of this church, God, so that we could win Chicago and the nations for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said... Amen. Praise the Lord. Come forward as you give this morning and thank you for your generosity. Amen. If you love Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're the real Christian. You came back. Amen. We know the real Christians. They come back after Easter. Amen. Hey, I just want to do a little family business before I preach and get on with what I'm doing. I want to let you know that this is what it takes for us to expand. God is moving and growing in this ministry. At Easter, the two services, we had 260 people. Let's give it up for you and for Jesus using you. Amen. We had over 170 in the first service and almost 90 in the second service. And so now this is what it's going to look like moving forward. So we wanted to launch the two services big, large, and in charge. We knew Easter would be like that. But this is what it's going to be like moving forward. Some of you who have come to our church maybe in the last year, you've been used to it being packed and a lot of people coming. Uh, just a few weeks ago before Easter, 170, 180 people, children in the back. Uh, but what you may not have noticed, it, you know, is it's really hard to keep coming when the seats keep 
keep filling up. And we were running out of space, running out of parking. And so we had to divide into two services. And this is going to be pretty much the bigger service because y'all are showing up a little bit more large and in charge. Can I get a whoop, whoop? Okay, so the first is my favorite. The first is my favorite. But you won't be here to hear what I say to the second, right? You won't hear what I say to the second, but I'll probably say the same thing to them. But anyways, and, and so now I just want us to be excited about who's here, okay? I don't want us to feel like we're missing people. I don't want us to look at the chairs and be like, oh, what, what happened? Well, there's about 110 people here, including our children in the back, and there's about 50 to 60 coming in the second service, okay? Last week they had 90, and I'm thinking maybe they'll hit about half that without Easter, okay? And uh, that's where we're going to go from. We're going to grow and make room, amen? And that 1 o'clock service is really helping people, A, that like to sleep in, so that's going to let them come, and then for anybody who misses. But it's also helping a lot of our people who are working third shifts and late nights and not really having days to sleep in. Some of our workers are like teachers and different people, and every day they're getting up early, and that allows them to come. So I just want you to believe with me now that these empty seats that we see here, we're going to fill it up. Amen? And what's awesome and what's, what's so cool is that when we fill this up, we're going to think like, oh, we just got back up to 170. No, we fill this up, we'll be getting close to 300 because that's what we're challenging the second service to do as well. Amen. Multiply. We don't die, we multiply. Hallelujah. And uh, just another quick announcement since I'm on it. This is what we're doing for the Easter season. It's all about Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. So I'm sorry if that's disappointed you. If you wanted to learn about someone else, we're learning about Jesus in church. How many love Jesus? Now, y'all ain't disappointed. That's why you came. And I just want to let you know we still have some flyers in the back to get a hold of these. And also online, you guys know I like to be on Facebook, hashtag cool. I'm always there. And we're promoting this. So just just tag your friends in this. It's on the Metro Praise website. And we got two more awesome lessons uh, coming next week. Miracle worker or just a good teacher. And then the last one will be the only way or just a way among many. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to get ready for this, okay? So next week, everybody say next week. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to pray for those who need a miracle. I am not a miracle worker. Jesus is. But I'm going to pray for every sick person that comes. We're going to pray for big issues, little issues. We're going to pray for the handicapped, for those with developmental issues. Why? Because we believe Jesus wants us to do that. So I want you to come next week with someone that you know who needs prayer for their health, okay? So come next week. And those of you who believe God can do it, start praying right now. Start praying, saying, God... We pray for somebody to get healed, you know. And sometimes somebody goes, well, well, what if everybody doesn't get healed? That's okay. It was worth it if one person gets healed. Amen. And, and then if somebody said, well, what if we do this and no one gets healed? Let me ask you a question. Let's say we did 100 miracle services in, in our whole lifetime. So let's say I'm pastoring for 50 years. Let's say I do two every year. That's 100 miracle services. And out of those 100, one person gets out of a wheelchair. Was it worth having 100 miracle services? Now, that's how I believe God can do that. Now, it's not my will. It's his will be done upon the earth. And so I'm going to be faithful to keep praying and believing God for miracles. And you know what the awesome thing is? I think we'll see more than one next week. And I believe that God will keep doing miracles as we keep asking him to do it. I believe that, okay? I really do. And then the last of the, of the month, everybody say last Sunday. 
Thank you. Bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Find somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And if you're on your way to church and you ain't got nobody in your car, bring in the homeless dude, okay? Just be like, look, dude, come on in. Come on in. I'm going to give you something, something low taste after service. Hop on in here real quick and bring him or her to church, amen? So I want everybody the last Sunday of the month to bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus because we're going to drop it like it's hot, just talking about how awesome Jesus is, how he'll save you and he'll change you. Uh, maybe some of you guys can tell your testimonies. I'll just put you on the spot, so come ready. No, I'm kidding. Somebody got real quiet with that. Real quiet. This was left out there on, on my own on that. But no, let's maybe some of my elders and deacons come ready. We'll just give you guys testimonies. I want God to show up. Can I get a what, what? Amen. Today, we're going to get deep because, uh, you know, last week we talked about Savior raised from the dead or a buried man. And I like to say I preached it and I was preaching. And today, I'm going to be teaching. Everybody say teaching. And that's why going on from this, we want you to start inviting a ton of people. But today, I think this is really for the body. This is really for you guys. And if you are a visitor, you're going to hear some of the inside goodies about Jesus. So everybody, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 is going to change your life right now because it's a story about Jesus and his disciples. How many disciples do I got in the house? Amen. Woo, woo. So here we have the opening series passage for our whole series on who is Jesus. All the sermons are online as well as the notes, mpichurch.org. And this is the big thing that's going on right now. Matthew is recording this event. He's a disciple, but he's writing this after the life of Jesus as a biography and is recording this time that Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And like I said last week, they gave him a bunch of weird answers. Like people were like freaked out because Jesus was doing a bunch of cool stuff. So they didn't know who he was. Some people thought he was a reincarnated prophet. I mean, that's a pretty weird answer, isn't it? Like, who's Jesus? Oh, he's Jeremiah reincarnated. Okay, so if you've ever felt like you don't know a lot about the Bible, don't feel bad. There's a lot of people who don't either, and you're in the right place. And then he gets to this part right here. He says in verse 15, if you're in Matthew 16, 15, say, I'm there. Thank you. This is what he says. He goes, what about you? Now he's looking at the 12. Now he's looking at his disciples, the guys that have been with him, the ones that should know him. He asked, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And you know what? It's very important that the people closest to you know who you are, right? Maybe not everybody knows who I am. Everybody watches a Facebook video of me or whatever. They may not know who I am, but my wife and my children need to know who I am. The disciples, the regular attenders of the church, they need to know who I am, right? So Jesus is like, you know what? These guys got a lot of crazy answers out there. I want to know who you say that I am. And look what Simon Peter said in verse 16. You are the what? Messiah, the son of the living God. Woo, mind blown. Pew. Isn't that amazing? You are the Messiah. You're the one Jewish people at this time, Peter is saying by calling the Messiah, you're the one people have been waiting for for 4,000 years. You're the one who's supposed to make right what Adam and Eve and everybody after them made wrong. You're the anointed one. 
Now, you know, we've seen a lot of movies with anointed ones. Uh, we, we've actually seen an Eddie Murphy movie, I think, called The Golden Child. You know, that was back in my day. There's been Star Wars movies about Obi-Wan Kenobi and raising up Luke Skywalker, you know, to, to save the empire. There's, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo. He's the chosen one to bring the ring to Mordor. Does anybody watch movies in here? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. There, there's this concept in the world in mythology of a chosen one. Are you guys tracking? That's where it comes from. From the moment mankind fell into sin, there was a promise that there would come a person that would deliver everybody from sin. Not just an evil empire, not just an evil ring. There would be a person that would save all of the human race from sin. That's where it got into mythology. So when you look at sometimes comparative religions and you're like, oh, they kind of all look the same. It's not because that they're all just uh, copying from each other. Uh, it's because they have the same source and they're diverting from that source. Are you guys tracking with me? The reason why there's animal sacrifice in a village somewhere in the jungle is because at the beginning, Adam and Eve learned that sacrifice was the remission for their sins. Abraham learned the remission of his sin was through sacrifice, and then they began to divert from the original. It's in humanity to search out God and through their stories and folklore to believe in this kind of God. And yeah, there's a lot of disagreements, obviously, but there's these core values that come into all of these religions and cultures, and if you follow it like a tree, all finds its root into the beginning of humanity to the book of Genesis and what God did through Adam and Eve. Everybody go, that's deep. And that's why uh, C.S. Lewis, who we'll be reading from today, he wrote on mythology. He uh, taught at Oxford University. He wrote uh, the books, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. His friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, wrote The Lord of the Rings. And uh, C.S. Lewis, what was interesting about him is he got saved at a later time in life as a college professor, as an atheist. He was very agnostic towards God and didn't know if he existed and, and kind of angry and all of that. And uh, he began to study, and he said, you know what? Jesus stands out from all of the mythological figures. And then he actually said that every mythological truth or fictional truth that we see finds its root in the nonfiction of Jesus and the nonfiction of the Bible. Are you with me? And it's and just one of the things, just one of the things, the story of the global flood is in over uh, 100 different cultures around the world from Native America to, to people like the Aborigines in Australia. And yet they all kind of share this same story of a flood, of a, of a global judgment and someone being saved divinely by God. And what book tells the story about that flood? The Bible. So you guys get what I'm saying. Can I hear an amen? This is who Jesus is. And not only is he the Messiah, the one coming to save the Jewish people and being the sacrifice for sins, as we learned about last week, but he's also the son of the living God. That's pretty powerful. He's not just the son of Donald Trump. How many think that would be pretty cool if you were Donald Trump, uh, Trump Jr.? Uh, be, being, how many like money? Want money? No? Anybody? Okay, we're in church. I, you guys get religious when you're in church. Okay. Um, Y'all like to work hard. How many would like to have a father that gave you about a million-dollar business right when you were starting to work hard? Okay, so we're, we're back on the same level. Like, you got to talk to me like you do at the restaurant here in church. Otherwise, it's going to make me look silly, and y'all are going to be quiet. So... We don't love money. We like to have it to use it for good purposes, right? I'm going to clarify. Okay, so going back to maybe some of you all don't like Donald Trump. So let me find a superstar or somebody that you like. Okay, so uh, would you want to be uh, Jennifer Lopez's uh, daughter? Okay, no, that, that was like racialist. That was racial. I just went there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I picked the Latino girl. Okay, so I was going like the gringo guy, and now Latino. I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to find somebody that everybody admires. Shout out the guy that that if you could choose to have their wealth and their business, the man or the woman, you would like to be born in that family. Shout it out. One, two, three. Okay, that was the loudest. Steven Spielberg. Okay, boom. We'll see if we can get everybody tracking on this. How many think it would be cool to be the son of Steven or daughter, daughter of Steven Spielberg? Son or daughter? Okay, like five of you. Not much better than my example, but at least we tried. What's awesome about this is that he's not the son of just Steven Spielberg, Donald Trump, J-Lo. He is the son of the living God. He has a place with the Father that nobody else has. As a matter of fact, the Christmas story isn't about Jesus being born and coming into existence. It's about God taking on flesh. If you were to go to the moon, you would put on a spacesuit. Jesus already existed before December 25th. All he was doing was coming on putting, in, putting on an earth suit. Everybody get that? He existed before he came into the flesh. He has always been with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And this is the revelation he's giving to them. It's not only, and it's coming through Peter, and, and Jesus eventually says, yeah, Peter, you got that from my Father, which is awesome, because, you know, the Father was telling Peter who Jesus was. Here he is. He's not just our Savior. He's also our God. Jesus didn't just die like Braveheart did for a bunch of good people that needed a good cause. How many ever watched the movie Braveheart? You know, at the end, freedom! Anybody remember that? Dude, me and examples, man. I need to like, I need, I need you guys to write down little books, scrapbooks of stuff you know about, okay? How many saw the movie Braveheart? I'm just going to get on this one. Okay, so most of you know what I'm talking about. Freedom! He's getting his, his stomach ripped out, right? Thank you. You guys understand. Okay, now watch this. Jesus is more than that. Jesus is more than just that good guy who died for a good cause. Abraham Lincoln was a great guy. People didn't like him. They killed him. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., great guy. People didn't like him. They killed him, okay? A lot of good people have died for good causes. Jesus is not just the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And that's because it, would only, it could only take God to do this good cause, which was die for the sins of the world. And that's the story of Easter, and that's the story of the gospel, and that's a story we should remember every day. Can I get a what, what? Thank you. Now, look at this here as we get into it, because this is where I'm going to begin to teach a little bit more than preach it. As we like to say, I'm going to tell it instead of yell it. Okay. Now, this is from that man, C.S. Lewis. He's one of the greatest authors of our time, uh, of the 20th century, rather. So uh, if you're still, you know, into reading and, and books, does anybody believe in books and reading and things? Okay, cool. If you're still into that stuff, it's really cool. His book, Mere Christianity, will blow your mind. If not, I'm sure there'll be a movie written about it, uh, you know, made about it sometime, or, or maybe a video or something that on YouTube. Okay, but listen to what he says here. In his book on Jesus, the section here in Mere Christianity, he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's like, there's a lot of people who go, I don't think Jesus is God, but I think he was a good guy. You know, he was a good guy. He was cool. Yeah, I, I would like him on Facebook. I would follow his Twitter. Yeah, Jesus is cool. 
You know, that, that's what C.S. Lewis is going to talk about now. He says, this, this is a really foolish thing. Why is this a foolish thing? Look at what it says here. It says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached or scrambled egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Come on, keep thinking through his quote here. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So you may not want to believe it at first that God walked among us in the flesh, that he died on the cross for our sins. You may be that kind of person that's asking those tough questions or being a little ornery about it. But there's no way that you can say Jesus was just a good teacher. You can't. You just can't do it. Now, some people have tried to get around this and say, well, maybe the idea of Jesus was a legend. Maybe Jesus was made up like some of these mythological figures of history. But that's not true. Jesus has more written about him than any person in history. Biographies, Roman historians. It's a known fact that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So to say he was just a legend, it cannot be. This is a real man, and yet when he taught us, he didn't teach us just as a man. He taught us as the God-man. Now, C.S. Lewis then gave us three options that you can have when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, and this is called the trilemma. Everybody say the trilemma. Okay, here it is. Option one, the trilemma just means three, like dilemma is two. Dilemma, you got to learn something right now. I got a dilemma. I got to choose between stuffed pizza or regular pizza. That's a dilemma. Trilemma is stuffed pizza, regular pizza, or a calzone. That's a trilemma, y'all. Y'all with me on that? Okay. So the first option is Jesus was a liar. Jesus just was flat out lying about what he said. And what would be an example of Jesus lying? Here would be an example. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, is that true? I mean, if that wasn't true, Jesus is a liar. And that would be an example of something that a liar would say. Now, he can't be a good man telling lies like this, can he? That's, that's really not a good person. If I, if I come up to you and I go, the only way you will ever get to God in heaven is to come through me. And I am everything that is true. I am everything that is life. And I am everything that is uh, the way to God. Am I, am I a good man? 
No, I can't say that and be a good man. Now, I'm a liar for saying that because I don't have anything, and I would know that I would be lying to you or whoever I would say that to. And so a liar tells lies because they don't have truth in them. They, they, they split the truth up, and even a partial uh, truth or a half-truth is a lie. Are you getting what I'm saying? This would make Jesus a liar. So that's an option. You can, you can read that and go, he knew that he shouldn't have said that, and he lied. The other option is, is that he could be a lunatic. And really, this to me is more of an option than a liar because I think just the kind of lies that Jesus was telling would really make him a lunatic, right? Like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God but through me. That's not just a liar. That's a lunatic and a crazy person. Now, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, is that true? Or was Jesus out of his mind? Now, you know the thing about crazy people is they don't know they're crazy, right? Because they're crazy. Liars know they're lying, but lunatics don't because they're crazy. They're like the person on the bus who thinks that they're the president of the United States or on the train. They smell like urine, and they've come from another planet, right? Like you've met these kind of people. Now, this to us as Christians may be a little bit offensive to tag this on to Jesus, but but. Be honest. This is what we have to do to know him, to show him to other people. So is he a liar or is he a lunatic? Because good people don't go around saying, I'm the only way to God, and saying, I'm coming back one day to judge you all and sitting on a glorious throne. How many know good people don't do that unless it's true? And that leaves us with option three. How many believe option three is true? That means he is who he said he is. He's Lord. So is he a liar? Is he a lunatic or is he Lord? You can't get away with just saying he was a good teacher or he was a prophet. No other prophet ever talked like Jesus. No other prophet claimed what they did. No other prophet said, I'm the son of the living God. No other prophet said, I'm going to come and rule on a glorious throne. No other prophet said that. Now look at this option, option three, which is obviously what this church believes. John 3, 3 13 through 16. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Where did Jesus come from? Heaven. You see, no one has gone there and come back. You may have a vision or people may have near-death experiences, but Jesus actually existed in heaven. He didn't just have a vision of heaven. He didn't just have a visit in heaven. Jesus was eternally in heaven. Do you get the difference? So he is saying no one has ever gone there and come back, but someone from there has come down here, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now look at John 3, 16. Let's read it together. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many believe that today? Amen. All right, so let us help our friends understand the difference. Let us teach them that Jesus can't just be a good man. He's not just somebody we can just kind of pick and choose from him like what we like and don't like. And we can't put Jesus on the buffet of religion like, like we're going to have a little Jesus with a little Buddha, with a little Krishna on the side, with a little something else. Do you get that? We can't do that. Jesus is in a category all by himself. God. God. He's in God category. 
You know, yeah, I give credit. World cultures, I love world cultures. Yes, Gandhi was like uh, to India like Martin Luther King was to us. I, I get that. And I've been to India, and I've seen his statues, Gandhi's statues, and they revere him. They love him. He helped tear down the caste system, right? So that that's fair to put Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi in, in the same ballpark. That's awesome. Are you guys with me? And then when you talk about people who fought wars, you know, same thing. You could put Genghis Khan, and you could put David in the same category. I get it. They they were mighty warriors. Like, I'm totally with that. But you cannot put anybody in the category of Jesus unless they're God. You get what I'm saying? That, that's a, like to cross that line, you got to be God. You, you know, you're going into this section, you're God. Because there's a lot of prophets. There's Isaiah, there's Jeremiah, there's Ezekiel, but they're not God. Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was the son and is the son of the living God. Amen. And he alone saves us. He alone brings us to the Father. He alone is our life. He actually not only says he's going to give us life, but he says he is life itself. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Now, let me give you four proofs about Jesus' divinity. And this is where I want to teach it and not just preach it. I want you to study this out so you can know who Jesus is. And as you read through your Bible, you can know about the star of the show. How many think you should know about Jesus when you read your Bible? Now watch this. I'm going to show you Jesus in the Old Testament. It's not like Jesus just showed up in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is in the book of Genesis. Jesus is in the book of Psalms. How many like Psalms? You know those songs? The book of Psalms is a book of songs. And I'm going to show you Jesus is in there. I'm going to show you Jesus is in the prophets because if he's God, he should be in the Bible from start to finish, shouldn't he? And I'll just go through this real quick and then each one uh, for the next few minutes, okay? So here's the eight proofs. The proof from the Torah, which is the Jewish Old Testament part of their Bible, which is the first five books. The, the Jewish people have the same Old Testament as us, the 39 books, but their most important part is what they call the Torah. Everybody say the Torah. And uh, that's the first five books of that Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I'll show you Jesus there. Number two, proof from the Jewish prophets. So these were the people who began to teach the Torah to the Jewish people throughout history. He is found there. Number three, proof from the Psalms of David. Psalms of David have the most chapters out of any book in the Bible, 150. It's a very important book. And as a matter of fact, most of the time when you split your Bible open, you kind of end up in the book of Psalms. It's kind of like the center of the Bible. And most of us love the Psalms and we'll probably read that more on a daily basis than anything else. Can I get an amen? If not, listening to the Psalms in songs, okay? You'll see Jesus there. Then the life of Jesus. You'll see the proof of his divinity and what he does and what he says. Number five, the proof from the disciples of Jesus, what they heard and, and saw him teach. Uh, the proof from Paul. And Paul's an interesting character because he wasn't with the first 12. He wasn't hanging out with the, uh, Jesus that whole time. He was actually a Jewish leader that helped persecute Christians that was on the other side of the war and said, I'm against this. I don't believe in this. And eventually he has a story, and it's in the Bible, that he claims that Jesus knocked him off of his mule, his donkey, and he saw a vision of Jesus and became a Christian. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And he became the number one writer of the New Testament. So God used him. Then we'll go to number seven and eight, which are outside the Bible, early church history. Because sometimes you'll meet people, and maybe they watch the Da Vinci Code or something, and they'll be like, no, man, Jesus was just a man and people made him God and the Roman Catholic Church did this and the Council of Nicaea did that. But we'll show you that the earliest disciples of the first disciples believed Jesus was God and then we'll show you in non-Christian history the Roman historians, what they talked about the Christians within the first 100 years of his death. Can I hear an amen for that? 
Now just go along with me here. You can follow with your Bible, but the notes will be easiest. And I've also provided some further study. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel is online as a video or a book. And then I've got 30 lessons on the doctrine of Christ. Just in case you really love today, you're like, man, I love this kind of teaching. Dr. William Lane Craig has 30 teachings on Jesus. How many think that's awesome? Okay, it may be a good podcast to listen to because it is in podcast form. and I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, let's start with the Torah. Genesis chapter 18. How many know the story of Abraham? getting the son of Isaac. It's a promise. Now, if you don't know this, let me just give you a little history so you can follow along in the whole Bible here. God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. They get kicked out of the garden. God begins to deal with them and teach them how to live right. They don't live right, and eventually humanity gets judged during Noah's flood. Okay, everybody say Noah. After Noah's flood, God says, I'm going to pick out a people that I'm going to teach my ways to. These people become the people of Israel. And through the people of Israel, Jesus comes. And through that, now the whole world can hear the message of Jesus. Okay? So way, way at the beginning, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to use you to pick out a people. And your people are going to be my people. They're going to be my chosen ones. They are going to be the ones that I'm going to give my commands to and meet with. And I want you to see what happens when, when um, Abraham first meets with God. Now, he's heard God before, but here in Genesis 18, he actually meets with God. Let's just blow your mind right here. Genesis 18, 1 through 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. Who appeared to Abraham? Uh-oh, oh, snap. The Lord came and appeared to him. Now, right here you have a problem. I have to skip ahead just a smidge so you will understand this. Now, remember I told you the Jewish Bible, the first five books, is called what? The Torah, right? That same book was written by Moses. The whole book, rather, was written by Moses, the same author. So the same guy who wrote Genesis wrote Exodus. Are you with me? Same guy who wrote Genesis and Exodus wrote Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So look what Moses said in Ezekiel 33, 20, uh, as he records a conversation that he has with God. It says, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. You all get that? See, Moses understands no one can see God's face and live. He wrote that. But as he is telling the story here in Genesis 18, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. Is that a contradiction? It seems like one, though, doesn't it? No one can see God's face. But here then comes God. He's meeting with him. And then as it goes on, Abraham washes the Lord's feet. Then Abraham gives him something to eat and talks to him. Now, you may be thinking all technical like right now, like maybe God covered his face. But no, he's actually a real person talking to him, and there is no mention of him covering his face. He's there. There's also two angels that are there. And by the way, angels don't have wings. Those are seraphim and cherubim, okay? Angels look just like us. And every time you look at the Bible and angels come, they're just like us, okay? The only difference is they don't get a chance to repent after they've sinned. So if they choose their one, their one choice, is their last choice. So God made them differently than they made us, but cherubim and seraphim have all these wings and they're in heaven, but when you see like Gabriel come and meet with uh, uh, Mary or Michael or these two angels that come with Abraham, as you're going to see here, uh, they look just like normal people. Can I get an amen to that? Now watch this. Here comes the Lord meeting with Abraham while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Verse 2, Abraham looked up and saw three men. You follow the story to our angels and where do they go after this meeting? 
Sodom and Gomorrah, and they judge them. And how do we know that they're just normal men? Because people see them in the city, and then they, they want to kill them, and then they want to have sex with them, which is really crazy. That's cray-cray. And then a person lets them in. So they're not like winged people, like walking around going, hey, guys, I'm just here chilling today. You know, like they're just walking around normally with, with Jesus, who I'm going to show you is Jesus. But, you know, there's three of them, and Abraham looked up and saw them standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent, tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So Abraham here meets Jesus. Now look at number two. Uh, the Lord meets face to face with Moses. And that's in verse chapter 33 of verse 11. But in chapter 33, verse 20, just nine verses later, the same Moses says, God told him he couldn't see his face. Hmm, something to think about, isn't it? Look at Ezekiel 33, 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So how did Moses get the Ten Commandments? Talking face to face with the Lord. How did Abraham get the promise of Isaac and hang out with God face to face? And yet a few verses later, he says, you cannot see my face and live. What is the problem here? The problem is in one place we're seeing God's face and another place we're not. You see, if you don't understand the Trinity, you'll think this is a contradiction. There's really only two solutions. Either this is the Trinity, three persons representing one God, or the Bible has contradicted itself. Now, because of other reasons, which I don't have time to get into, I don't believe the Bible has contradicted itself, and I don't think Jesus is a liar. And that's why when Jesus comes on the scene and says what he said at the beginning here in Matthew, I'm the son of the living God, I get this picture of the identity of who this person is. The one meeting with them is Jesus. The one they can't see is the Father. Mm, hello, somebody. And the one empowering them is the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, the Jewish people had this concealed in a mystery. In the New Testament, it was revealed in the identity of Jesus. God's character was concealed in a mystery. I'm going to get to some more prophets. And it made Daniel scratch his head when he sees the father, and all of a sudden he sees the son, and then people start worshiping the son. He goes, this troubled me. Why would it trouble a Jewish prophet to see two receiving worship? Because they only thought God was the father. They didn't know that three separate persons shared the same divinity. Now people may say, well, I don't know if I understand the Trinity. This is just proof number one. Let's go through all of them and see if you can understand it better. But I would just like to say this. God's nature is complex. God can be who he is and we not understand it and still be who he is. We don't understand a lot of things and it's still the way it is. You guys understand? My wife is beautiful in the way she is, but I still don't understand her. Hello? And if there's any man that thinks you understand your wife, you, you are deceived. You, are, you have lied to yourself. Okay? So just because God could be something I don't understand doesn't mean that God's not that way. So now let, let, let's not limit God to our understanding. Let us let God expand our understanding. Does everybody get that? Okay, let's go to the second proof here. Here's the Jewish prophets. Daniel. How many heard of Daniel in the lion's den? Right Now, Daniel is an awesome prophet. This guy totally loves God. He is not going to change anything about the doctrines of the Bible. This man studied the other prophets. He's a righteous man. He's living in Babylon. The reason why he gets thrown into a lion's den is because he won't worship the other gods. Okay, Everybody say Daniel's a good guy. 
Okay, so Daniel's not an idolater. He's not just going to worship any old person. He's only worshiping God. He's praying three times a day facing Jerusalem while he's still in Babylon. They say, if you don't stop praying, we're going to throw you into a lion's den. He does it right in front of everybody. Here I go. Watch me. Watch me. And then they throw him into a lion's den. Hello, somebody. He's like, I ain't stopped praying. And then his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are told to bow down in front of a statue and don't do it. And they get thrown into fire. Are you with me? This Daniel had a vision. And watch what happens to him. His world gets rocked. In my vision at night, Daniel 7, 13, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now let me just pause right here. Sometimes people read the Bible and they say, when Jesus was called the son of God, that means that's his God nature. And when he's called the son of man, that means his human nature. That's incorrect. Son of God does relate to his origin with God and being equal to God, but so does son of man. This is where the term came from. So when Jesus, when Jesus is in Matthew and he, Jesus is calling himself the son of man, he's not just saying like I'm, I'm Bubba's man, I'm like just some dude over here. No, he's saying I'm the son of man that Daniel saw coming with the clouds of heaven. I looked at what appeared to me to be a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Okay, I know the Ancient of Days. That's the one we've all been talking about. You know, Daniel's probably saying this to himself. I get that. I get the Ancient of Days here, and this is a vision, so it's not face-to-face in, real, in reality. That's why he can see Ancient of Days there, the Father, and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority glory, sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Oh, heavy Ravi Daniel. You can just imagine what it did to him. It messed him up. Keep reading the rest of this story. It troubled him. He couldn't understand this. I'm not a polytheist. I don't believe in many gods. I only believe in one God. And yet now I'm seeing two persons who share the same divinity and who work as one. Yet there's two personalities. One is the Ancient of Days and one is the father, uh, the Son. There's not two gods. There's only one God. See, there is the Trinity wrapped in mystery. They share the same character, the same power, the same essence, yet they're three different persons. Let me give you a couple different ways to look at the Trinity at this point. When we say, what is God? What? We're talking about the substance of what God is. I am of the human race. So are you. What we are are humans. Are, listen, are you listening to me? Okay. What the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is, is God. Who they are is three separate persons. Now, you may look at us here and go, yes, we're all humans, but we're separate humans. When you look at Father, Son, Holy Spirit, though they are separate persons, they are not separate in their essence. And that is what makes them unique. Now, how do I know this is the way God wants us to understand it? It's because when he creates us, he creates us male and female. And then he says when they come together, they become one. That is a picture of what we call complex unity. 
And I could speak about the Trinity a whole lot more at a different time, but I just want you to see that Jesus shares the same divine attributes of being all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at the same time, omnipresent, as the Father does. He shares the same glory. He shares the same power, yet he is not the same person. And so we don't worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. Can I hear an amen? Now look at this in Isaiah. Isaiah came before Daniel, but we'll read it now. Look at Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. You probably heard this at Christmas time, right? Here it is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Notice the difference here. To us a child is born. What is born? The child. But to us a son is given. Is the son born? No. The child is born. Jesus took on flesh. But he was given to us. He wasn't born. His flesh was born. The earth suit he put on was born. That's why Mary was here. He did not want to come without a flesh as he had with Abraham and met with Moses. The reason why Jesus needed flesh was to be crucified in that flesh. Are you with me? So a child is born. There, there's baby Jesus. Quote, oh, sweet baby Jesus. There he is. But the son is not born. The son is given to the flesh. That will blow your mind right there. That will get you coming back to church. Amen. Come on. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah is like, you know, writing this down. And I'm sure the revelation starts rocking him about here. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. It's like, okay, I get it, Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You could just imagine Isaiah at this point. He's getting rocked. He's like, hold on, you mean there's someone that's going to be born that I'm going to call mighty God? We're Jews. We don't worship men. We don't worship Caesar. We don't worship statues. Idolatry is the highest sin to us. Are you listening? And they're writing this down. Holy men of God are writing this down. The Bible says it was a mystery to them, but they were faithful to write it down. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will rule on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The Old Testament people knew this, Ezekiel 33, 14, that you don't worship anyone other than God. There's only one God. That was the first of the Ten Commandments. They knew that. And then they also knew that he was a jealous God. How could this be unless there was a person alongside of the Father sharing the same attributes but would come in the flesh for us? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus God in the flesh? Or just a good man. We've only gotten to point two. We've got six more to go to. Oh, hello, somebody. Are you getting convinced? You see, we have to stop and take a look at the great awesomeness of our God. You take advantage of the New Testament already talking about the Old Testament. That's why, like, when you're reading stories about the disciples, you're like, ha, 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 they should have known better. Ha, 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 ha. You know, because you already know it now. But imagine you're then, you know, imagine you're alive then. You don't get it. You don't understand it. What is happening? Thomas is like, oh, you're, you're the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, okay, where is that? And, and what are you again? And then he goes, Thomas, you don't get it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For me and the Father are one. 
I mean, you, you think like, you know, him, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life would have settled it all, but like, he was just, Thomas was so confused. And then even after that whole talk, and then Jesus dies just like he said he was going to die, they didn't even believe he was going to raise from the dead. Peter goes back to fishing. Then they tell these guys, the disciples, the women, right, are preaching to the men. That's why I believe in women preachers, hey. They're telling all the men he's raised and they don't believe it. And then that's when you get back to Thomas, the dude that had the whole conversation in John 14 about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. That's Thomas. About G- uh, Jesus being one with the Father, that's Thomas. And he still says, I'm not going to believe until I touch him. Let's have some compassion on these disciples. Their whole worldview is getting rocked. And then you get to the end of their story, the book of Acts. I'll, I'll, you know, I like to remind us of this because now they're like, okay, we get it. You've walked through walls. You, you know, you're awesome. You've raised from the dead. You're, you're who you say you are. Let's go kill everybody now. And then he ascends in the cloud and goes, guys, you still don't get it. Go into the upper room. Pray for 50 days, 40 days, and I'll come back, uh, 10 days, and I'll come back on Pentecost with the power of the Holy. I'll give you the Holy Spirit and then come back 2,000 some years from now. You see, they didn't even understand that the gospel still had to be preached, that they had to be empowered, that the the message that we're talking about today had to get out. They were still looking for him to kill everybody. But yes, one day he is going to judge the world, but thankfully it's happening later and not sooner because more of us are getting saved. The nations are coming to Jesus. Amen? All right, how many are ready for number three? Amen. Number three, just a short little passage of scripture right here from David. Now, this is what's so awesome about this. David wrote most of the Psalms, but the passage I'm about ready to read to you. Now, up until this point, let me pause and say this. Up until this point, some of the things I've been showing you might be like, well, that's kind of like word tricks, Pastor. You're kind of like tricking us, and, you know, maybe that's not what it was meant to be. This passage I'm going to read you in Psalms 110, Jesus himself said to the Jewish leaders to explain who he was. This is what Jesus said. Jesus went back to this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but watch this right here. In the English, we have the word Lord for both cases that it's used. But in the actual Hebrew, there's two words. Uh, Bertle, can you get my little clicker, please? In Hebrew, the word Lord in the first usage is Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. In the second usage, it's Adon, which actually gets used at other times as Adonai. And so here we see David saying, Yahweh my God has said to my Adon, my Lord and Master, to rule and to govern. Now, the first time you read this, it may not sound too too difficult, but as you now begin to look at it, how many lords, thank you, does it look like David has? It now looks like David has two lords, does he not? The Lord, this is the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So there's Yahweh, and then there's a Lord sitting next to Yahweh. Doesn't it look like now there's two lords? Doesn't it look like that? How many remember how to count? Is it counting the problem or is it talking back to the pastor in preaching time? We're going to see this little button here. Let me put this on you guys. There we go. Let me make sure you guys are paying attention here. It seems a little bit confusing. The Lord says to my Lord. Looks like he's got two lords, doesn't it? This is the same question that Jesus asked the Jewish rulers, didn't he? Jesus said, how can David call the Messiah his Lord? Hmm. 
See, David is the one, the throne of David is the throne the Messiah comes and rules on. But yet David is calling the one who rules on his throne Lord. David is saying, I obey him. Now, anytime you're in a dynasty, it's always the one who comes first who's over the ladder. So as they were believing that the Messiah was going to come and rule on the throne of David, they knew that it would be a descendant of David. It wasn't Jesus' earthly body descended from someone out of David's line. And so that means if this is a king in the line of David, David is the Lord over that person who's come much, much later, right? So who came first, Jesus or David? Being born wise, in the flesh, who came first, David or Jesus? David. But here David is saying, my great God Yahweh has said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. And then now look here as he writes later on in verse uh, chapter 16, using the same kind of words. Psalm 16, 2, I say to the Lord, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Apart from you, I have no good thing. But hold on, I thought he had two lords up here. The Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. Sounds like there's two, doesn't it? Isn't there? But yet right here, David says, Lord God, Yahweh, you're my only Adonai. You're my only master. How do you explain that? There's only one God, but three persons. There's only one God, but three persons. And in Psalm 110, David is realizing this as he's writing down this revelation that the Messiah is just as much his God and Lord as is the Father. But he is not the Father. He is not the same person of the Father, but he shares in the same divine attribute of the Father. Now, just so that you can get that confused look that many of you guys have on your face, I want to show you where Jesus actually used this to show the people who he was. Can I hear an amen? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 44. How many think Jesus was pretty smart? How many think Jesus, God in the flesh, knew the scriptures that talked about him? How many think if Jesus used the scripture to talk about himself and he taught us from that scripture, how many think we should listen to him? Let's listen to Jesus because I know some of you are confused like, there's two lords, but there's one Lord? I don't understand. There's three persons and the one divine being we call God. There is one what? God, but three who's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is either a liar, and he was not that Lord that David talked about, a lunatic, someone who took something that didn't belong to him, that doesn't belong to him, and he's lying about it, or he's truly the Lord of glory. Which one do you think he is? Hello. Look at this. Jesus speaking right here. While the Pharisees were gathered together, these are the Jewish leaders. See, I'm about ready to have my doctorate in theology. These guys already had it. These are the guys who memorized those first five books of the Bible. They knew it by heart and probably knew the whole entire book of Psalms by heart as well. This is what Jesus asked them. Who do you think, uh, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? See, whose son is he? They answer, the son of David. So they're thinking he's only a man. But he's going to show them he's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. Flesh from David, God on the inside. Hello. 
the son of David. So he's going to trick them now with that scripture because they're going to say, well, he's just a human man. He said to them, how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, so we know these aren't David's words, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Hello. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. That's my Jesus. Hello, somebody. That's my Jesus. I ain't that smart to come up with that one. That's our Jesus. That is our Jesus teaching us who he is from the Psalms of David. Isn't that precious? Uh, going through these proofs quickly. As Jesus walks the earth, number four, we see that he begins to forgive sins. At this one time, four people bring their sick friend to him, tear off the roof, lower him down through the roof because it was so packed. Jesus sees the man is crippled, but then he says something quite odd, something that a man would really never say. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven, verse 9. Now understand this, no one forgives sins but God, no one. Now, priests may be able to speak on behalf of God in the temple after they made the sacrifice, but there's no sacrifice. Jesus is not wearing a priestly robe. He's right there among them, and he goes, hey, dude, let me get your attention. Your sins are forgiven, by the way. Everybody is rocked. And then he says, so that you will know, or he asks them, what is harder, to forgive sins or to say get up and walk? And he says, so that you'll know the Son of Man, the Son of Man of Daniel who has all power, the, the Son of Man, he said, so that you'll know the Son of Man has all authority on earth to forgive sins, get up and walk. He shows them that I can heal the outside and I can heal the inside. Later on, it's Sabbath. It's like their holy day, and they're, not command, they're commanded not to work, not to do anything. And here the disciples are picking and eating grain. They're supposed to get stoned for that. The Sabbath law said you couldn't walk so many feet from your house. You couldn't work or be in your field. And here's Jesus' disciples eating food. And yet when they ask him about it, he says, the Sabbath was not made for man, but the, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not the Sabbath for man. Uh, what in the world am I reading here? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I was missing the other word. So the Son of Man is what? He is what? Lord even of the Sabbath. So imagine somebody walking in here on our holy day and just starts eating food here. And we say, you can't eat food here in this church. This church is about God. And he goes, yeah, this, the, the, the church was made for God, and the Son of Man is, is the Lord of this church just like God. I can do whatever I want here. I'm in charge of this church. Wouldn't that be weird if Jesus said, I'm in charge of this church? That would just make us a little bit upset, wouldn't it? We'd be like, Jesus, I'm supposed to go to lunch right now. You're not in charge. Right? Like, like Jesus, you're not supposed to keep praying. Now I'm supposed to go home. But, but the, Jesus walks around telling people he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's forgiving sin. See, we didn't think about that when we were reading the Bible, how awesome that is. And at the same time, how crazy that would be if he wasn't God, right? What if somebody on the bus just said to you, hey, your sins are forgiven. I'll tell you that. What if somebody walked into this church and go, it's all right, everybody. I'm just interrupting the service. Son of man is here. I'm in charge of all this. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says in Numbers 14, 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Only God can forgive sins. 
And then here we have in Deuteronomy 5.14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And the Son of Man says, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm in charge of this day. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us to understand you more. Here is the conclusion to the matter, and I don't have time to get into all the details. Would you come up, uh, Vinny? Like I said, I taught it today. Is that okay? Amen. Gave you some teaching. Here John now is the last gospel writer, and he understands all the confusion many of you might have had in this, in this conversation. He gets it. He's a Jewish person by birth and identity, but by culture he lives in a Greco-Roman world with pagans. He gets it. When he goes to the pagans and he says, God is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they go, oh, that's easy. There's three gods. We, we get it. We have Hercules, Zeus, and all. Yeah, we get it. And he goes, no, 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 no. There's not three gods. There's one God and three persons. So he's got to explain it to them, right? And then when he goes to the Jewish people, they're like, we get it. We get it. You know, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. We're okay with that. He died for our sins. He was like the Passover lamb. That's about as far as we can go. We're good. He goes, he goes no. Jesus is equal to Father, the Yahweh. He's the Lord of David. He's the visitor on the plains of Mamre with Abraham. He's the son of man that comes to uh, the Ancient of Days and receives worship. And they go, oh, oh, oh. No, no, you're talking polytheism like the pagans now. And so John comes after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's actually the last disciple to die, one of the only ones of natural, the only one, rather, of natural causes. The rest of them are martyred. He writes this. Around probably the age of 80 years old. He's an older man. He knows all the stories of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going around. Everybody gets it. And so he starts off his letter different. He doesn't start with, you know, Joseph and Mary were going to do this. They couldn't get, you know, a place in the end. They had to go into a manger. He, he doesn't start there. He doesn't start with the life of John the Baptist is going around preaching, and here comes Jesus. This is where he starts. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Come on, somebody say, preach it, John. You see, John knew something about Jesus, didn't he? He knew whenever we came to the beginning, Jesus was already there. When we came to creation, Jesus was already there. He pre-existed existence itself. Keep on going with John. Somebody say, keep it going, John. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now you got to read that whole passage, 1 through, 14, uh, 1 through 18, but I'll skip now to verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Oh, you mean, John, all those times we were said we couldn't see God, or you mean we couldn't see the Father? But all the times we did see God, we saw the Son who's closest to the Father? That's what's going on, John. That the Word preexisted and made everything, but He became flesh to die for us. How many love John 3.16? That's the same guy. So he's telling that story. This is why he came. He came in the flesh to die for sinners. God among us. Some people say, oh, what happened when he died? The same thing that happens when your body dies. You're not your body. When you die, do you live on? 
When Jesus' body died, he didn't kill his, his divinity. Your, your soul is eternal now. It's going to live on forever. Are you guys with me? Some people say we killed God and that what happened in heaven if you can kill God. No, no. We, we just killed his earth suit. Just like if I kill your earth suit, you're going directly to heaven. Hello? Can I annihilate your existence? Jesus wasn't annihilated on the cross. His flesh died on the cross. You see the difference? Don't let anybody trick you with that stuff. Oh, he was in the beginning with God. Now look at Peter. I love Peter. How many like Peter? Peter right here, he's got some heavy revies. Somebody say heavy revies. Now Peter, he gets bold now. Watch this. When he looks back at the Old Testament, all he can see is Jesus. He's gotten cross-eyed. He only can see Jesus everywhere he looks because now he understands who he is. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Peter's not that shy, bashful guy anymore. He's this on-fire preacher. And look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, concerning this foul uh, salvation, that this salvation that we have, that the prophets who spoke of that was to come, searched intently and with the greatest care. See, he's saying, yeah, these prophets, they didn't always understand everything, but they wrote what they heard and they searched intensely and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories, hallelujah, that would follow. I'm going to dance up in this place. Woo, the Bible makes me excited. I'm sorry, friends, if that doesn't do it for you. It does it for me. Peter looks back and he goes, yeah, all those prophets, it was the spirit of Christ in them. It was God saying to Isaiah, come see my son. And Jesus would show up and give him a vision. And his spirit would influence them. It was the Spirit of Christ. When he says he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the book of Acts comes in the name of Jesus. You can't receive the Holy Spirit without Christ. Isn't that awesome? Paul gets knocked off his horse, literally, becomes a Christian, and writes some of the greatest things about Jesus. In your relationship with one another, have the same attitude. Of Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and took on human likeness. In Colossians 1.19, he said, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And in Colossians 2.9, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in a bodily form. Woo! <laughs> any better than that my God hallelujah man talking about Jesus doesn't get you excited some of you are like oh my gosh how much longer are we going to go and talk about Jesus just be real some of y'all feeling that right now like, oh my gosh when is he going to get done talking about Jesus <laughs> this is what it's like. he's God he's God he's your God he's coming on clouds of heaven He's going to judge you. Do you love him? He's here now by his spirit. You can talk to him. Here's uh, two things from church fathers who came after the first disciples. 100 A.D., 107 A.D. Here we have Clement of Rome calling Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, the scepter of, mad of the majesty of God. 
in Ignatius' letter in 107 A.D. He said, for our God, Jesus Christ, was conceived by Mary. I think they understood who they were worshiping a lot earlier before Constantine and these uh, rumors that you hear. Here's proofs from Roman history. Ben, would you come, please? Let me make them feel like I'm shutting down now, okay? But I got a little preach left in me. I've been telling it too long. I got to yell it a little bit. Amen. I got till 1 o'clock. I got, that's why, by the way, that's why we don't got a second service at 1130, y'all. We used to try that stuff, but it didn't work. We made sure we had enough time to get it all out. Amen. Because some people were like, when we tried this a long time ago, people were coming to the early one because they knew pastor had to stop. Pastor had to stop. Oh, no, service next one's at 1. I got plenty of time. How many want to hear it? Come on, somebody say, preach it. Just look at this here. Pliny the Younger, a Roman governor. Look at what he wrote about Christians, 111 A.D. Jesus got crucified around 33 A.D. This is only a few years after his death. The, the, the oldest disciple, John, died around 90 A.D. So this is right here at the, at the right time. They had met regularly before dawn on a fixed day to chant verses alternately among themselves in honor of Christ as if to a God. These Romans are scratching their head. Who is this person? We don't really know all about it yet, but they get together early in the morning. Hello. Like, y'all get up early in the morning, come to church. Chanting verses. That's what they call it. We call it singing hymns to Jesus as a God. Now, watch this right here. This will blow your mind because this goes back into that crucifixion thing, why the Romans were, uh, uh, I'm sorry, persecuting the church. The Romans didn't have any problem with the new dude call, calling himself God or whatever. This was common to them. But this was the problem that they had is that the Christians said he's the only God. And then they said, we saw him raised from the dead. That was a big deal to them. That's why they wanted to kill the Christians, and you hear about that in history. Here's this philosopher. He says, uh, Celsus in 177 A.D. And their worship of this Jesus is the more outrageous because they refuse any talk. Somebody say, any talk. Come on, they refuse any talk about God, the Father of all, unless it includes some reference to Jesus. Oh, you want to talk about God? Oh, that's great. Let's talk about Jesus, the only way to the Father. Let's talk about No, we don't want to talk about that. You know, I love Hercules. Hercules ain't nothing. Jesus rose from the dead. Let's talk about, no, I want to talk about Jesus. And then what they do? They begin to kill him. They begin to torture Christians because that was the problem. You couldn't talk to a Christian about God unless it had something to do with Jesus because Jesus is and was the son of the living God. Amen. Would you stand up? Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. Praise God. Altar workers, would you come, please? Let's end with this scripture today in experiencing God. How many are glad we can do more than just talk about it? Now we can experience it. And not it. We can experience him, rather. So let's look at this scripture and then close in prayer today. Revelations 22, 12 through 13. Jesus is talking. Remember I said it's from Genesis to Revelation. Here's the end of the book right here. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Are y'all ready for Jesus to come back? He's not coming as a baby born in a major anymore, but as a conquering king. He's saying, I'm coming soon. Those were his final words to us. Jesus' final words are not in the Gospels. Jesus' final words in the book of Revelation, he says, I'm coming soon. Are you ready for him? 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for coming. And Holy Spirit, we honor you because you bring to us the Father and the Son's presence here today. With every head bowed and eyes closed, right now, personally, church, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you ask him into your life right now? Would you repent of your sins? I'm so glad you came. Sorry for running a little late. I do mean that. But I want to give you a chance to pray. Would you be patient with me for your own sake, for your eternal destiny? Look at your heart. Are you right with God? Have you been following Jesus Christ? As the band plays right now for the next 30 seconds, would all of us search our heart and just make sure that Jesus is the Lord of our life? Search me, God. Search me, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus. Come on, just 15 more seconds as the band plays. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he everything to you? If you don't know how to ask Jesus into your life, it's really simple. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I declare you to be the Lord of my life. You're not a liar. You're not a lunatic. You're Lord. And then just confess your sins. Just say, Lord, forgive me for not treating my neighbor as I should or lying or stealing. You know, whatever it is. And you will know today that you've been changed. You'll know God. Jesus is here to save. And now before we go, these, na these last 30 seconds, we're just going to sing this song. Jesus. Come on, just worship him. I'll teach you the words if you don't know the song. Say his name, Jesus, again. Come on. Let us all worship him today. Holy and anointed one. Anointed one. His name is Jesus. Your name is like honey. On my lips. Your spirit's like water. To my thirsty soul. Your word is a lamp. To my feet. Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Now we're going to sing it from the top one more time. Jesus. Before we leave out here today, just worship him. Worship him like the angels will. Worship him like all creation does. Come on. Holy and anointed one. Holy and anointed one. Jesus. Your name like honey on my lips nobody's like you Jesus your spirit like water to my thirsty soul your word is a lamp to my feet Jesus I love you I love you just say Jesus I love you Come on, if that's all you can say today, just sing it out. A few more times, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Jesus. 
Oh, that we would know you more. Help us this week to put into practice all that we've learned. Let us know you so we can show you. Let us go to our life groups and our jobs and our families, knowing who you are and showing who you are through our lives. Bring us back next week with those we can pray for in your name because we know you're next to the Father, sending your spirit to do miracles among us. Bless us as we go, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Can you bless him, church, one more time? He's worth it. Amen. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. God bless you as you go. But if you need prayer, would you come forward before you leave? We'll pray for you.